0: Welcome back to Behind the Lens, yet another week. I can't believe next week is already the end of January, but here we are moving along through 2018 very smartly. I'm Debbie Elias, Debbie Elias film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens. But you can find my movie reviews and interviews 24-7 in print and online, uh, behindthelensonline.net, and numerous other places around the globe, but every Monday. I am right here on AdrenalineRadio.com with Behind the Lens, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, and it is a thrill, a thrill to be here. Um, Big, big doing since last week's show. Last week, we had the wonderful Dana Nachman and Don Hardy with us talking about their film, their new latest documentary, Pick of the Litter, which Had its world premiere at Slamdance on Friday night, complete with a puppy parade down Main Street. The film got bought out of the box by IFC and Sundance Selects. So everybody will get to see and learn all about these wonderful, wonderful guide dogs for the blind and the journey that these litters of pups go on to become um, a helper, a helper animal. Uh, I'm very, very thrilled for Dana um so put pick of the litter on your radar people um because it's one that you definitely do not want to miss you know a couple other films that you don't want to miss we're going to have some very special guests here with us today dan mervish is going to be joining us shortly dan is one of the co-founders of slam dance along with peter baxter peter has been on the show several times before it's been a couple years but uh peter has joined us several times Slam Dance is in full force uh, right now up in Park City along with Sundance. Um, but Dan is also an acclaimed director. And Dan has the closing night film at Slam Dance, Bernard and Huey. Uh, and it is. He's directing a script by Oscar winner, Pulitzer Prize winner, Obi winner, Jules Pfeiffer. This is a script that was written over 30 years ago. It was lost it's now been found. The film stars uh, David Ketchner, Jim Rash, uh, the incomparable Mae Whitman, who we've watched grow up, who is fabulous. And we I can't wait to talk to Dan about the film, because not only is it a beautiful film, it's, it's a funny film. Uh, he's made some adjustments to the original script uh, because of time. Uh, the fact that it's no, it, the original script was set in the 80s, but with flashbacks to the sixties, but now it's set in the present with flashbacks to the eighties. So we're going to talk to Dan about how he pulled this off. And then I know, I know the Twitter feeds have been, have been blowing up all week since I let you know that Lou Diamond Phillips is going to be with us at the midway point of the show. Um, you know him for La Bamba, you know him for young guns, young guns Two, renegades, Longmire, um, I don't know what our television and film landscape would be like without Lou Diamond Phillips. And we've got him here on Behind the Lens talking about his new film, Quest, uh, which I have to say I was blown away by. It is a true story. Um, also stars Lakeith Stanfield, uh, whom many of you know I adore and I have been on the Lakeith bandwagon since Short Term 12. Um it's and a we have a breakout new star in Quest Greg Cassian. So I can't wait to talk to Lou not only about working with this newcomer Greg but also with the filmmaker. Um, with the filmmaker who uh, just Santiago Rizzo, this is his story essentially. Um, and it, it's heartwarming, it is very heartfelt, it's hard to watch in some places. But it is a powerhouse, and at the end of the film, it is extremely hopeful. And considering that Santiago was co-writer and directed this for his very first feature, uh, all the hope that we see and hope for at the end of the film comes to fruition in real life. So it's going to be a joy to talk to Lou about this very, very incredible project and film. And that is also, that's screening tonight at Slam Dance with an encore on the 24th. So everybody who's up in Park City, if you can get tickets to Sequest, I can't recommend it highly enough. Um, similarly, if there are any tickets left for the closing night of, of Bernard and Huey, Dan Mervish's film, uh, see what you can do or who you can bribe to get some tickets because it's, it'll be well worth it. Uh, but... Before we get to that, of course, as we all know, tomorrow is Academy Award nominations morning. So it's going to be interesting to see what comes of that, uh, given the the Golden Globes of late, the SAG Awards over the weekend. And, of course, all the hubbub, um, everything that is transpiring with the Me Too movement. And the big question on everyone's mind is, could this affect James Franco's chances Uh, Our Golden Globe winner, could it affect his chances for an Oscar nomination? So it's going to be interesting to see how things play out tomorrow morning. But we had a new film open this weekend that I am crazy about. Den of Thieves, Gerard Butler, Curtis 50 Cent Jackson, Pablo Schreiber, O'Shea Jackson Jr., a.k.a. Ice Cube's son. Uh, and let me tell you, when I'm watching the film, I did a double take initially because he looked so much like his father uh, that I was like, oh, I was taken aback. And then when I saw the full frontal and not just a profile, I realized, yes, that is that is Junior. Um, Den of Thieves is an incredible, incredible film written and directed by Christian Gutierrez. It's been approximately 14 years in the making. It is the first real testosterone fueled Ro- thriller roller coaster ride of the year. Uh, it's a heist movie, which we don't get too many of. We definitely don't get a heist movie about a robbery of the Federal Reserve in Los Angeles. Uh, as a ma- just as a matter of point in history, there has never been a successful robbery or heist of a Federal Reserve anywhere in the United States. Uh, many people consider the cyber heist of a few years ago the eighty one million dollar cyber heist a heist okay, in a manner of speaking, semantics, yes, but talking about going in actually physically removing money and getting out with millions has not happened. The closest any anyone has come to robbing a federal reserve was goes back to one thousand nine hundred and twenty two in the Denver Mint. Uh, and that was robbing the truck outside of $200,000. It was not successful. But since then, it's everybody seems to know better with the Federal Reserve. And when you see the film, uh, Den of Thieves, you're going to understand why. Uh, because what, the producer on the film, Boots on the Ground, Tucker Tooley. Tucker, uh, most of you may know him from his days at Relativity. Uh, but this is his venture. He originally brought it to Relativity. And after all the business dealings that that transpired that uh, brought down a lot of the demise, shall we say, of relativity. Uh Tucker kept the film and uh Gerard Butler has been attached since the beginning. Um Christian has stayed involved. So this is Tucker's father uh was one of the um, developers who helped design and was involved with the design of the Federal Reserve building in Los Angeles and because of Tucker's relationship and his father uh, not only did they get a tour which you can get of the Federal Reserve you can get tours of of Federal Reserves but as Tucker said it it was a, a heightened tour the one catch though you cannot take pictures you cannot take notes you cannot video anything so everything that was seen Inside by Carol Lindstrom, the production designer, by Gerard, by Christian, by Tucker. Everything had to be mental notes as to the configuration, uniforms, colors, styles, procedures, uh, and then try and replicate it with as much authenticity as they could from what they committed to memory. Uh, It's fascinating. I, I talked at length with Christian and Tucker during the week. And uh, was just bowled over by everything they went through to bring this film to life. Because we basically have, it's essentially a modern day Western. We've got, uh, we have our thieves, known as the outlaws. And we have the elite of the elite in law enforcement with the major crimes unit, uh, referred to as the regulators. And we see the similarities. We have two types and groups of men. They're bound by brotherhood, family, but on opposite sides of the law. But yet they are very, very much the same. And we see this play out and play out with such great authenticity due to the training that all of the cast went through, both from physical training to armament to to weaponry um, and working together as a group and being isolated from each other. It's a very unique process that worked so well in bringing this film to life with the intensity that it has. Um, So, during the press conference, I had a chance to ask some questions of the guys, as did everyone else. And, of course, 50 50 Cent has something to say about everything, and if you ask him, this is his movie. Um, You will hear the camaraderie in a lot of the... Clips you're going to hear today from Den of Thieves. Uh, This group of guys are truly a band of brothers, be it whatever side of the fence they are on. Um, The experience of having them all together in one room uh, is in and of itself an intense experience. But take a listen here. Let's get started and we'll take a listen to, as they discuss, what the goal of the movie was when they went into this.
1: Yeah, that's one of the things I loved about the movie is, you know, one, it was a very smart, complex heist movie that you could get involved with. But it also, as well as being very compelling and and having a, 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 a lot of action... It also gives you time to breathe and sit with these characters and get to know them and show you how bruised and ravished they can be by this lifestyle, you know, and how it affects them, it affects their families, and and also kind of turn the clichés on its head and actually show sometimes the cops, who ultimately are the good guys, they're trying to bring down the bad guys, but sometimes they don't act so, you know, they're kind of like naughty boys because they're, they're, you know, they, they it's a troubling world that they live in and it definitely has an impact and causes a certain <laughs> amount of release and disconnect and, and I think that gives a, a nice interesting allegiance that the audience have between the good guys and the bad guys and the way you journey with them, you know, you kind of swap from side to side and I think that's one of the things that's really different about this movie.
2: I'm, I'm not supposed to answer, but um, the the um, really the end goal was the final action sequence. The whole point was we we want to care about everybody equally. They're all just human beings. There's no bad guys, no good guys. I myself was the writer, and, and as these guys playing it, we love everybody. I want to understand everybody's motivations, know them, like them, good, bad, and indifferent. You know, they're all just. Um, in other words, if you took away the you know the the, the the cops and criminals, it's a symbiotic. It's a yin and yang thing. It's a symbiotic relationship. One doesn't exist without the other. So they almost appreciate each other for that. You know, they're basically the same kind of dude. Um, in any other circumstance, they'd get along and go drink beers and hang out, and it's all be good. Um, so there's sort of a, a mutual respect and appreciation, and the whole purpose of was to build towards that moment to sort of understand everybody and care about everybody equally.
1: It's like in old school days, you know, they all be warriors on the same battlefield, but at exactly. the end of the day, they kind of came from the same village. Mm-hmm. You know, they all knew each other growing up, and they ain't really that different. You know, it's just a mm-hmm. small amount that will. It them to stamp on either side of the and line. And that's the reality. That's the reality. Yeah.
3: yeah. yeah. There was a point, like, where, where I actually I get shot in a film. And I did it, and Christian was like, no, you didn't do that the right way. And I was <laughs> like, I, trust me, I know better
0: <laughs> <laughs> And, yes, that was Gerard Butler, Christian Kunikast, and Curtis 50 Cent Jackson. So I'm thinking here, Pam. What if we take a short break because Dan should be calling in momentarily? So why don't we pop in one of our trusty public service announcements here for a moment while we wait for Dan Mirvish? Because I know out of the other clips we have, we're going to run long, uh, and I don't want to cut Dan off when he calls. So we're going to take a short break, and we will be right back with Behind the Lens. All right, we're still waiting for Dan to call. So let's see. How about if we do clip three, Pam? We're Gerard. We'll jump to clip three uh, with Gerard and Christian talking about creating Gerard's character of Big Nick, who is the lead uh, investigator of the Major Crimes Unit.
1: I hung out with the, with the, um, a few cops. Um who you know, one in particular, who gave me a lot of, you know backstory, you know, and, and in fact, I was at boot camp as well, like sitting basically being schooled in this world that these guys live in. And it, and and it's as much the stories themselves and understanding their reality of what it means every day, especially undercover, to go and live in that stress every moment, knowing that if one slip happens, you're a dead man, and the risk to yourself and your families, and 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 the kind of releases I mentioned before that 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 brings out in people. Um, however, my big Nick character is, I think, with, without a doubt, taking some poetic license. It's a bit of a genius on Christian's part, is to. um, you know, if you have cops like that who understand that you you have to kind of out-violence the enemy, out-manoeuvre, out-fox the enemy, then how how can you play with that in terms of the the kind of dramatic narrative of the, of the movie? And that's what allows us, I think, to kind of th- this movie to be so full of surprises. You know, because my character is somewhat on the verge of being out of control. You know, and and it's like consequences be damned, he just thinks um, impulsively and acts impulsively and um, you know, there's, I think, a certain amount of oh, yeah. leeway we took with that and and it allowed the movie to, you never know where it's going to take you. you
2: know? the, the, the other um, factor with, with Big Nick's character with all the cops is that their sheriff's department specifically. So in the sheriff's department, the first thing that you do is you have to, you. they run the prisons. So they are in constant physical contact with the worst of the worst. That's when you, day one, when you get your badge, when you go swearing with Lee, Lee Baca, you're sent to LA County Jail. And you're responsible for transferring prisoners, uh, uh, regulating the prison system in California. So um, they automatically deal with the worst of the worst when they're pissed off, they being dragged back and forth to jail. Um, so it takes a certain kind of individual to be able to deal with that. And the reality is they got to be tough. Um, and, uh, and by the time they get to major crimes, which is the top of the food chain, the Sheriff's Department, they're. They're not nice, and that's the whole thing. That was one main thing with them, and also with these guys, too, is here the deal is this. At, at home, with the lives of the families, that's a different side of them. But when they go to work, they are not nice people, period. And that's what it has to be in order to to, to survive in that world. By the way, when you meet them, the nicest guys ever. You know, none of
1: us actually have to deal with taking down a lot of the scumbags they have to take down on a daily basis, and the risks that they have to take moment to moment that they're not very much appreciated for. So when you spend a lot of time with them, it is kind of mind-blowing how they put their life on the line every day to actually protect people. But the impact, as I said before, that that has on their lives. So it's easy to get kind of, you know, for them to take a lot of flack, and, and, and a lot of that comes, you know, deserved in certain areas. But I have to say, with these guys... It's it's interesting to spend some time with them and see what they go through and and actually what a brotherhood they have. I I really enjoyed my time with them. I think they're real heroes.
0: You know, and it's interesting uh, as Gerard talks about you know spending time with uh you know with the cops with the major crimes guys um, because he really does get into character and so much of that and you see that translated on screen and this is a testament to Christian as a director Tucker as a producer. Because right down to jewelry, the weight of jewelry, uh, the costuming, the shoes, the boots, the type of jacket, um, everything is so integrated and so authentic in creating these characters, very much so with Gerard's character of Big Nick, however— and uh, and i just found that knowing guys over the years that are in major crimes or who have gone up through the ranks and landed in major crimes to see them embody and transform into that elite level of law enforcement it's fascinating to watch so to see to see Gerard and to see the the rest of the cast take on these personas it truly is immersive, uh, watching them, and also with them, for them in becoming these characters. Um, I personally, I think that Gerard's take on Big Nick is it is flawless, uh, and the fun the film is just fun. It's a lot of fun. Well, we still don't know where Dan is. We're trying to find out. So let's play. Our other clip from the den on the den of thieves with the cast talking about the training they went through physically and in weaponry well first of all i've got to congratulate all you guys an incredible incredible job this is an action-packed adrenaline rush and having seen this you are you got you got your work cut out for you when you team up with rick to do angel I've got to ask you guys because there are two definite distinct factions, we've got outlaws we've got regulators, that also involves different armament, different styles of fighting, different styles of, of gun, gun fighting so what were, what kind of training did you all go through from the armament standpoint and also just from the physical training for this because this is very, very
3: physically intensive. Pablo. <laughs> this, uh, wait, before you this, I knew it. <laughs> let me explain to you guys that this is my movie. Oh, my God. This is my movie, and I'm I'm really, I'm overwhelmed at the love that Gerard Butler has shown me for being in it. <laughs> and the publicity, the marketing, the promotions for it, this guy's amazing. Like, they don't make, we need more people like Gerard Butler in the world. I say that every day. <laughs> You're right. You're right. You know, But Pablo, you can answer that. Oh, okay, thanks. Um, <laughs>
1: and we had a, about a two-week training. We showed up uh, a couple weeks prior to shooting, and we had two separate camps. Uh, you know, Jerry is uh, the star of our movie, but he's also a producer.
0: And the joy of live radio, because I knew the minute we'd start that, Dan would call. So, let's bring him on right now. Here is the co founder of Slam Dance, Dan Mirvish and the director Mirvish. Mirvish and the director of Bernard and Huey. Hi, Dan.
4: Hi, sorry, I have a bit of a cough, but uh, wonderful to be on.
0: Well, it's wonderful to have you on and it is it was so wonderful to watch your film Bernard and Huey. Thank you. This is I didn't know what to expect. Uh, I'm a fan of, of Jules Pfeiffer's work. But I did not know what to expect with this film, especially something, a script that's been buried for thirty years and suddenly discovered. Yeah, thanks. You know how did you how did this project come to you? Since obviously this was something that hadn't seen the light of day in quite a while.
4: <coughs> right. Well, I had um, I had read an interview with with Jules um, in a, in a newspaper about f- five years ago. And uh, and I knew a little bit about his reputation, but he but um, the end of the article it said uh, he had several unproduced screenplays, and I thought, well, whatever they are, they must be good. So um, actually, you know, there's an echo on this line. Is there? Can we try to call in again, or is this live?
0: Oh, we're we're live, Dan. Um, but if, oh, we but... are.
4: Okay, well, I'll live with it. That's fine. That's fine um and it was me saying that's fine twice that wasn't the echo <laughs> um but anyway
0: we're not getting anyway, an echo um, we're not getting an echo on this end so
4: okay that's good that's fine um uh any anyway so I read this interview and it said he had several on pretty screenplays and, and this is a guy who's won a, a Pulitzer and an Oscar and I thought well whatever that he has they, they must be good <laughs> so I called him up and he said oh yeah I think I've got some stuff but um you know everything's lost in in archives uh, they but try me back in 4 months and I tried him back 4 months and and he he still couldn't find anything he said try me back another 4 months and this went on for a year and a half and finally uh we tracked down a copy of the script in a magazine that was published in 19 uh 90s, but the script was written in 1986 um and magazine had a copy of the of the screenplay um but he wasn't sure if it was the complete screenplay because his assistant may have sent an edited one. I said, where's your assistant? He said, well, my assistant is dead. Uh, and I said, that's too bad. I said, what about your agent? Maybe he has a copy of the script. No, he's dead, too. I said, what about your lawyer? No longer among the countess. He is dead. And um, finally, we, we found a, a producer that he had worked with in the 80s. He had a copy of the script. And, uh, and then actually we found the original handwritten copy of the script at the Library of Congress. And, uh, and that was great to, to discover that. So. Well, you know, uh, and then we yeah, made the movie.
0: Well, you know, something I find interesting is that our main characters of Bernard and Huey, we have seen them over the decades in various incarnations. Exactly. Uh, so, I mean, they've been in earlier Pfeiffer works, in cartoons, appearing in The Village Voice and Playboy, yeah. uh, I think yeah. also in a book somewhere. So how do you take, yeah. a? St- how did you approach this as a director to take these characters that are known... They're known commodities, but freshen them up and make them new, even for people that may have seen them in cartoon form.
4: Right. Well, one of the things was the, the the script when we first found it was you know was set in 1986 and it had some flashbacks to 1960. And I knew that it's it's hard enough on a on a low budget to do one period movie, much less two. So we um, so Jules and I kind of moved everything to uh, the contemporary scenes that now take place. Temporarily, they take place now. And then the flashbacks are to 1988. And so I think part of it, but but we kept the essential dialogue and, and the script um, otherwise pretty much the same. And I think that um, between that and just casting amazing actors, uh, David Koechner and Jim Rash and Sasha Alexander and Bellamy Young and, and, and Mae Whitman, all wonderful people, Nancy Travis, Richard Karn, um, it, it, that literally fleshes out the actors. And so... Even though they're similar characters to Jack Nicholson and Argo Garfunkel in, in *Carnal Knowledge*, um, uh, they look and feel completely different. And so the actors, you know, we did a four days rehearsal, and the actors are—they're are all brilliant minds and performers themselves. It all really brought a lot to to their roles, uh, respectively. So it all kind of came together nicely, and then we shot it in a style that was kind of reminiscent of the '70s films. While not being a, a direct homage to mm-hmm. uh, to any of them, and it, it kind of came together nicely, I think.
0: Now I have I have to give kudos to you and your cinematographer, to Todd you. to Todd because visually, to you, yeah. Oh, uh, number one, your use of color is fabulous. It, it, the you, oh, satu- saturation is so appropriately used, uh, but your visual distinctions between your two time periods. Is just it's magnificently done, and I'm curious how you how you decided to do that because I know you shot it anamorphically, correct?
4: Yeah, we shot it with um, Panavision anamorphic uh, prime lenses, and um, and the contemporary scenes we shot uh, digitally. We shot on the Alexa, uh, which is what a lot of people are shooting on now. Um, but the lenses were were kind of old lenses; they were old glass from Panavision. Uh, but then the flashbacks we shot on Super 16 film, actual film stuff. And uh and actually using the exact same lenses but it, it but just by virtue of shooting it on film, um and getting some grain in there. And actually our uh our friend Steve Yedlin who shot The Last Jedi, uh the Star Wars movie, mm-hmm. he gave us some tips on uh on how to make, how to you know, pull that grain uh into it and and see it more. So um, yeah, we we have Star Wars to thank a little bit for giving us the look of the film.
0: Well, and I have to say, so often when we have flashbacks in films, directors choose to go with a more sepia look. You didn't do that; mm-hmm. you went with a very rich, vibrant look and relied yeah, on that exactly. grain. And I that I yeah. think is gorgeous.
4: Thank you. Yeah, no, we t- we talked about different things, but that was. We did almost no color correction on on the film stock. We we saw it, you know, fresh out of the lab, and we were like, "Wow, that looks terrific. Let's just go with that," <laughs> you know, and uh, and it worked beautifully.
0: Well, you know, something else that that you've done, you have a very timeless feel here, and even though you've shot you shot this in present day, we're not inundated with texting, cell phones, all of this. Everybody, mm. everything is still pretty much analog. <laughs> Yeah. Um, it 's a yeah. wonderful analog design was that a design by choice?
4: yeah, absolutely. um yeah, it was something that um you know we wanted to give it a little bit of that timeless feel and, and also part of it is the characters and, and being in New york you still people still have landlines uh because you need them to buzz up, and so it made sense that a lot of the phones would still be these these landlines, and we kind of, you know, use that as a joke, like, you know, Huey uses Bernard's landline instead of his cell phone. Um, uh, but but it's, it's also it's a lesson I learned from Witt Stillman years ago, who's a friend of mine. Um, you know, he said, look, if you dress young people in jackets and ties like you did in Metropolitan, um, it will always have a timeless quality because um, men's fashions don't change. Mm-hmm. You know? So... Um, the little things like that, little decisions about having Bernard in both the contemporary scenes and the flashbacks still wear essentially the same, uh, you know, jacket and skinny tie um, work. But uh, and and I think as a director, I was able to to resonate with this material because I'm now about the same age that Jules was when he wrote it, and about the same age as the characters. And then even the the flashback scenes to Huey. A lot of those props and set design are—we shot it in my garage. That's my real stuff, uh, so I could—I uh, could definitely relate to that material very well.
0: And of course, your garage is in my neighborhood, so.
4: Yes, Clover City.
0: <laughs> so, I mean, how fun is that? I mean, you could have come and borrowed stuff from my house too. Uh.
4: Probably, yeah. <laughs> uh, but we even shot the New York subway scene in my garage.
0: I heard that. And I just think that is absolutely incredible. It is so believable. I mean, you really, you, you pulled it off so that we do feel like we are in this, we are in the the world of Bernard and Huey. Oh, Thank you so much. Yeah, well, I'm just very excited that this is going to be the closing night film for Slamdance.
4: Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We've had a terrific run so far. We've been in 19 festivals in five continents. We we just won a prize at the. It was announced in the Iran Daily News today that we won the the prize at the Jaipur International Festival in India for the best film of the American continent. Oh and, my god! Uh, so the film plays literally all over the world, and um, and it's uh, it's been really really fun to to screen it here in Park City at Slam Vance, which is the festival I. Started, but I still had to submit the film to the committee and pay an entry fee, and, and they they all liked it, so that was good.
0: Well, if they didn't like this one, you know, there's something seriously wrong with them because this is it's an amazing film, Dan, and it's so beautiful. You know, Thank on you. S- on it's so amazing. many levels. You know, unfortunately, I have to cut us short because we have another one of your slam dance filmmakers on the other line. Oh. Lou, well, terrific! Lou Diamond Phillips is going to talk about his film Quest that is uh, playing tonight.
4: Lou's, Lou's great. We we uh, I met him in the Oldenburg Film Festival in Germany where both of our films were premiering. So uh, so give him my best.
0: I will and, and give Peter my best because I haven't seen him in a while. I will. Thanks All so right. much, right. Dan. Bye bye. Thank you. I'll see you in Culver City. Yes, you bye. will. Bye bye. Right. And that was Dan Mervish, director of Bernard and Huey. I would have kept him on longer, but we have Lou Diamond Phillips. Lou Diamond Phillips, welcome, welcome.
5: Hi, Debbie, how are you?
0: I am so thrilled to be talking to you. I just had Dan Mirish on. He said to tell you hello. Dan Mirvish. Yeah, I heard
5: that. said that We had a wonderful time in the uh, Oldenburg Film Festival. Uh, it was uh, really, I mean, just, just, just fantastic to be there, and I'm so thrilled for him and his film. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm regretful that I can't be uh, there in studio with you now, but, you know. Got got a full plate going on these days. Well, now are
0: you up in Slam Dance or are you in Santa Fe shooting your new film, Big Kill?
5: No, Big Kill is uh, all done, finished that before Christmas, uh, and uh, I am not in Slam Dance right now. Although Quest is going to be uh, filming, I mean uh, premiering there, uh, the Slam Dance screening. I think it's around six o'clock tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, the director uh, and writer. Uh, Santiago Rizzo is there, and uh, the wonderful Dash Mihok uh, as well are there to uh, represent the film. I think uh, Gregory Katian might be there as well, who uh, is the young lead of the movie.
0: I got to tell you this. You know, first of all, it's so good to get to talk to you, and all. I think I have never in all these years had a chance to do an interview and talk with you after the very first time we met, which was after Young Guns at a, oh at a premiere thing. All the stunt guys, Bill Hart, Neil Summers, all those guys worked on Young Guns with you, and I think Neil actually was doing riding doubling for Emilio, um, and they introduced us. So it's been since 1988.
5: Uh, yeah, it's been far too many years. That's uh, <laughs> yeah, coming up on 30 years for that. That's crazy. But hey, you know, kudos to us for still being, you know, still being around and still standing.
0: I'll tell you. Well, you, you are always working. I mean, I just love your performance in Longmire, which...
5: Thank you very much. Yeah, real proud of that.
0: Which, you know, Neil actually was doing some pickup stunt work on that uh, in the first season or two on. So we're all still hanging in there and maybe a few more bumps and bruises, but we're all around. But I... Yeah, it's a little harder to get up in the morning
5: <laughs> sometimes after, after you know, uh, riding hard. But uh, no, it's all, it's all good. And... Uh, uh, I think today, uh, as, as much as ever, I'm doing work that I'm incredibly proud of. I'm getting to play roles that are challenging and that are different. Uh, you know, I mean, from Longmire and Henry Standing Bear, uh, and we're complete there uh, with six seasons, uh, and uh, and we're all done. But, you know, even to something like Quest, yeah, which is, you know, not, not usually what I do. It's, uh, you know, he's a very abusive, very very evil bad guy, but uh, uh, it, was, it was a challenge to play that and a challenge
3: to, to contribute to this film.
0: Well, you know, as I'm watching Quest and I, this story is unfolding, I knew nothing about about Santiago's story. I knew nothing going in. And I'm watching this, and all I could think of is, how do you not say yes when you get a script like this across your plate?
5: 100%. I mean, it, it, it absolutely starts with the material uh, and you know it, this is truly an independent film. Santiago raised the money himself. Uh, a lot of it is his own money it 's obviously his story and and a real homage to uh, his mentor tim Molering. so the The heart was on the page when I first read it, and uh, was was incredibly intrigued by the role Dash was already uh, attached, as was Betsy Brand, who I adore so it was It was really an easy yes for me because the the role was was so different than anything i 'd done uh and i and I felt that the overall message of the film you know about about not giving up on somebody about mentorship about you know uh, uh believing you know believing in somebody and and paying that forward uh was was a very you know important thing to be a part of
0: you know did as you were doing this film and as you were as you were reading the script, did it end your mind that this is really full circle for you going back from the days of stand and deliver and working with Edward James Olmos and his portrayal of Jaime Escalante. And now here you are in a film that is celebrating something like that. Although your character is not. Uh, (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But. uh, Yeah, you know, I think uh, the the fact that it's a slam dance
5: tonight and and what's really funny about, you know, quest as well is that we played the mill Valley film festival, which is exactly where Warner brothers picked up stand and deliver, you know, 30 years ago. So, uh, my, my heart is still with the independent filmmakers. It's still with the small stories, uh, the real heartfelt stories that the studios just don't seem to make anymore. Uh, and, and, and so, yeah, I mean, it's it's part and parcel of what, uh, as a veteran, you know, I, I, uh, I can, can help to bring to the table. Uh, and speaking of Eddie Olmos, uh, uh, I, I think my renewed love affair with, with independent films started with uh, Philly Brown a few years ago that Eddie produced and that his son... Michael almost uh co-directed and which basically gave us uh, Gina Rodriguez, you know, in, yeah. in the title role and now she's huge and and is so proud to have, you know, been a part of uh, you know, bringing bringing a spotlight to that talent.
0: Well, and you're help definitely helping bring a spotlight to a new young talent that is now on my radar, Greg Casian who plays young, you know, Emilio uh, aka Mills. What A talented young man,
5: Uh, unbelievable, and 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 I think a great reminder for a lot of us to to not get into our own head and to just be honest and to be truthful. Because I think now you know it's been it's been a little while since we made the film. I think you know Greg is finally sort of overwhelmed by how big an opportunity this was. But at the time, it, it, it didn't resonate with him. He was just a kid having a good time. And, and he did a, a fantastic job because he's just naturally talented. And now when he looks back and he's winning these awards, and he, it, it's, it's a very very interesting to watch because it has humbled him. And he is more grateful now than he was when we were making the film. <laughs> how,
0: how does it make you feel when you get to work with a young, a young actor like this, an up-and-comer, um, does it r- help you recharge your own batteries and your own love for the craft?
5: Always, you know. I mean, uh, I, I haven't taught a seminar in a while, but there, there's a reason I do that, uh, uh, and that is that is to see the fire, to see the passion, you know, in young actors' eyes. And a lot of times, when I'm on a set, you know, uh, it, it's very sweet. I mean, it makes me feel old, but you know, I get the young guy coming up going, "Oh man, you were such an inspiration," or "You know, Young Guns was one of my favorites," or "La Bamba meant the world to me," and you know, and and and. uh to, to realize that, that it's already had an impact on young artists' lives, you know, means a lot to me. And but then, for them to be able to meet me, you know, as a human being, as a person, and to work with me, uh, and and to not have to worry about, uh, you know, image or or you know anything else, it's just it's just two artists going you know head to head. Uh, that's that's what's great. And and, and it's interesting because um, that that trust. Played such a big part in in me being able to be so abusive to uh, to Gregory in the movie. It's because he trusted me to not really hurt him. He trusted me to to actually like him. You know, between takes, that that this wasn't you know going to be uh, an abusive or a uh, a tormenting kind of situation. And and as a result, you know, he he uh, he loves the craft even more today.
0: Is that difficult for you to get into that kind of headspace? Because I know most your most famous roles, you're with contemporaries, Young Guns. You're you're with Emilio. You know you're with Kiefer. You know Kiefer. You and Kiefer did Renegades together. Uh, you you're now in the Ranch with Sam Elliott and with Ashton. You're always with contemporaries. But here, you know, is it difficult to gather up that kind of rage when you're dealing with a younger a younger child or, or a younger actor?
5: No, no. I, you know, I don't. It's interesting, and I and I have to to liken it to you know I played uh, Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, mm-hmm. not long ago, um, and you know people said, well, you know, did, was it was that hard to let go? of, You know, when you went home, I mean, was your wife afraid to have you know kitchen knives <laughs> around you? Um, and it's like, no, no. You know, I mean, I'm acting, uh, and and uh, I, I I I am not possessed. You know. By the character I can I can intellectually see the character and, and keep a certain amount of distance from it uh, and do what I have to do and especially in a situation like this where you know I, there are scenes where I'm literally throwing little Gregory around
3: mm-hmm. you
5: know where where there has to be a, a, a certain amount of control there has to be some discipline or someone's going to get hurt right you know it's it's just like the stunts you know you, you know if you're going to crash a car into the wall you don't just go and do it you know and make it as real as possible you take every precaution. To, to make sure that it is a stunt, that it is, you know, professionally done, and then nobody gets hurt. Uh, and, and, you know, I mean, acting is the same way. I mean, I, I, I know that, you know, a lot of people, you know, think they have to go, you know, 100% method on stuff like this, and that maybe that's their process, but, but you know, it tends to leave a little carnage in the wake.
0: hmm Yeah, as, as you know, I mean, as we're even finding out, we're, we're now, you know, Beryl Streep talking about working with Dustin Hoffman and the slap on the face. And in one in yep. film and, you know, it, it takes you aback and having worked on second unit myself and knowing all these stunt guys, I know fully trained people. They know where to give, where to take, where to stop, where to end. So exactly. It, yeah. So I and when you're dealing with, you know, minors, I always find that even more intriguing, you know, as a performer, you know, how you innately know where to draw that line.
5: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, exactly. And it's interesting because there's, there, there was one scene, and I, and I asked his permission. You know, Santiago came to me and go, I'm not seeing the fear. Because at, the, at this point, you know, Gregory had worked with me for, you know, almost a week and, and, and liked me and trusted me. We got along great. Mm-hmm. And so he was too young to manufacture that fear, you know, uh, uh, towards my character. And so I, I literally, I told him, I said, you know what, at some point during your close-ups, if it's okay, I'm going to pop you. I'm going to pop you on the cheek, and it might sting a little bit. And, he went, and I said, can I do that? And he said,
4: oh, yeah, okay, okay. You know, because he
5: was very open to, to the acting process. But what was wonderful was that the anticipation of that made, made created that fear for him, mm-hmm. you, know, as, as a, you know, as opposed to me having to slap him every take,
0: you mm-hmm. know. You know, how was it working with Santiago, first-time director, First time screenwriter, and I mean, I look at this end product, and it's like, I would never. His work belies a first timer. It does, and he he uh, for both of them, uh, and
5: it was because there was a certain you know amount of passion there. There was a certain amount of heart, uh, and, and Santiago is a very very smart guy. You know, uh, he knew exactly what he wanted, and and there were times when. He didn't know the process, he didn't know the technical ability, you know, but uh, he, had, he had a great DP who, who really, really helped him with the visuals. He would describe what he wanted, you know, and, and uh, our, our DP was there to back him up on that. He had a very, very solid cast uh, of veterans who've been around a lot, you know, and, and even somebody like, you know, Lakeith uh, mm-hmm. Stanfield who's like blowing up now. You know, uh, he had people that were there that came to play that weren't, you know, about, about games you know and and obviously you know i mean that's the other thing you you don't judge uh somebody's ability like gregory when you know they're they're a 10-year-old actor and you go oh well i you know i expect him to be robert de niro no you come into it knowing certain things
3: mm-hmm. you
5: know you you know that this you know you're not going to have a big trailer to change in you're going to be changing in bathrooms <laughs> and things like that you know you you you're not you're not going to get the the, the four star catering you know you're going to get you know Pollo loco you know <laughs> so i mean it's 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 just it's when you commit to it, you commit to it because of the heart and not because how much it's going to pay you or what you think it's going to do you you you're coming together as artists you know uh uh to hey you know my dad's got a bar and let's go put on a show kind of thing mhm
0: yeah it's you know these grassroots indie films and because i i cater to the, indie, to the indie world so much because, you know, this is where filmmaking comes from. This is where we're going to get the next, next Hitchcock or the next Spielberg or the next George Lucas is out of the indie world. I, I firmly believe that. And you really have to encourage and nurture and showcase and spotlight so that everybody can keep growing and getting to the point of like Lakeith, who is just exploding everywhere right now. And, you know, as you've done with your career, but you've also, with your career, you have also vacillated and just moved seamlessly between television, film, stage. I mean, anybody that didn't see you do In the King and I, they missed out on something.
5: Oh, thanks. I mean, it's a different world today. Thank goodness. It is, it is very much a different world where, I mean, when I started, if you were a film actor, you were a film actor and you didn't do television. But now, you know, uh, you got Oscar winners doing television, uh, and, 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 and the face of television has changed. It's not, you know, the love boat, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> anymore. I mean, it's, you're getting this, this, these edgy, dark, auteur, you know, like shows that, that are on streaming platforms or on cable, um, and, and they, they've really, um, opened the door to auteurs to come in and, and create, very unique, very individual, uh, um, very iconic, you know, uh, uh, entertainment. And and so people are going where the, the good work is,
3: mm-hmm. you know, and,
5: and, and that now means that, you know, you can see Leif Schreiber, you know, on television, and then you can see him, and I, you know, you mentioned it, but Spotlight, you know, mm-hmm. for instance, you know, and then pe- people are going back and forth, you know, I mean, Michael Stuhlbarg is having an amazing year, oh. you know, just saw him in, you know, oh, my goodness, I mean, The Post and uh, The Shape of Water, but then last year on Fargo you know and so you're getting these amazing actors you know erasing those boundaries and and really um, uh, being able to to, to as, perform at the top of their game and 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 I think that's that's really important and 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 it's fortunate because it's it's providing more opportunities for everybody I also think and if, if I can uh, put an addendum on that of course I think we're starting to get back to a to a uh, a real resurgence of independent film. Uh, we're mm-hmm. seeing independent films being competitive at the Oscars now, and actually winning. You know, with things like Moonlight, uh, you know, uh, uh, getting attention. I mean, even even the the Directors Guild uh, nominees this year are such a vast, vast uh, uh, palette. You know, you got you know uh, Christopher Nolan with Dunkirk, which is a huge, huge film, and then you got Greta Gerwig, you know, and then mm-hmm. Jordan Peele also nominated. So. You know, it's a uh, um, it's a really interesting time, and I and I think I think we're you know storytellers, directors, and writers are, are really starting to uh, to get their due once again.
0: And and I wholeheartedly agree with you on that, Lou. And you know, I'd be remiss not to mention the fact that I mean, standout. Everybody talks about you know female directors. You mentioned Greta this year, but you had one of the best, Patricia Riggin, directing you in the Thirty Three a couple years ago.
5: I've been really fortunate. I'm one of the people who, who you know, they go, oh, it's a female director. And I go, great. It's like, well, it's not even an issue.
3: <laughs> you know? yeah.
5: And then I hear about these people who have never worked with a female director. And I go, man, how could that be possible? I mean, I, I, I've been so fortunate. I mean, not only Patricia Regan, you know, in the 33, but Megan Griffiths, who wrote and directed uh, The Night Stalker, and then asked me to come do a cameo for her on Graves. Um, my, my goodness, Zetna Fuentes, uh, who's done you know a good handful of uh, uh, Long Myers, you know, uh, mm-hmm. directed uh, an amazing uh, uh, episode of. of um, I, she was just on the other night. Uh, good grief, it, it, it's, it's escaping me. Um, uh, but you know, I mean, uh, she, she's wonderful. Um, uh, Fabian Bertot that I did uh, Sky with. You know, I mean, I, I've worked with five or six female directors, you know, in the last couple of years. And it's, and it's, just, it's just wonderful, man. And we, we need to obviously see, not only see more of that, but we need to be supportive of that and need to uh, uh, really uh, um, elevate that. I was able to, you know, do some, uh, to present at the DGA Student Film Awards earlier this year. And, you know, uh, a, a young female director won, you know, in the Latina category. Uh, oh. So, you know, we're, 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 we're making inroads step-by-step, inch-by-inch. And uh, uh, it, just, it just takes all of us, men, women, you know, uh, producers, you know, people behind the scenes uh, to, to really uh, uh, keep this conversation front and center.
0: So I've got to ask you, after all your years in the business with many more to come, you know, what is it that you look for in a project? Because you do move in and out of the various media, you know, and you mentioned how the scope of television is changing. I mean, you're working in the ranch, perfect example of the changing face of television you would not have been in the ranch without this the change the scope changing you know what is it absolutely what do you look for at this stage of your career
5: Uh, there there are a couple of different things you know i mean uh, uh first and foremost it's the role you know and and it's like um i i still at this point in my career after 30 years look for a challenge you know, I look for something that, that, that I haven't done, or at least uh, uh, if it's something that I've done before, it's a variation on a theme,
3: mm-hmm.
5: you know, and, and, and so that's always exciting to me um, to be able to, to build on, uh, you know, the, the tools and the foundation, you know, we were talking about keeping the fire alive, I mean, that's it, you know, going back to basics and building a character from the bottom up, and many times that doesn't matter what size the role is, you know mm-hmm. whether whether it's the lead or whether it's a supporting role or whether it's one or two scenes in a good you know good film or good project. You know I I recently just did uh, an episode of Criminal Minds because I was a fan of that show for a long time, and uh, you know I know Joe Mantegna I know you know Paget Brewster you know uh, uh, they're, they're friends of mine and there are, there are times now where I'll get a call and sometimes sight unseen uh, I'll say yes simply because there are people that I want to work with. And I realized that, you know, that life is short and that, uh, you know, the, the process of being on set, the process of, of creating, you know, scenes and drama uh, is, is as gratifying to me as the, uh, as the end result sometimes. And so there, there are people that, you know, if, if it came up that, you know, uh, would you do one scene, you know, in a Meryl Streep movie, you'd be like, boom, yes, I'm it. done. <laughs> I don't care what it is. You know, it could be one line you know man how would you like some you know sugar with your tea
3: you know i don't
5: care you know <laughs> just just to be on set with certain people i i you know i crawl through glass to get there
0: okay now now if you had a chance to be in in one of the star wars films with no lines would you jump at it for one scene
5: uh you know what these days yes <laughs> you know there was there was a time there was a time when i i, I looked back and i go wow uh uh you, you 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 shortchanged yourself i mean for instance i didn't take a meeting on the matrix not mm-hmm. in keanu's role but in another role and and uh you know i've I've regretted it for 20 something years <laughs> you know uh and and it's like the, even even no scene no no dialogue uh, uh roles can be really interesting and, and a lot of fun i mean you know, I, I, if you were to compare all the dialogue you know, that I had as Henry Standing Bear on Longmire to the rest of my cast, they probably have twice the amount of dialogue that I have over the six years. Mm-hmm. But a great deal of my work was nonverbal. A great deal of my work was in how Henry reacts and mm-hmm. thinks and, and, you know, uh, is quietly supportive. So, I mean, you know, I mean, and, and look, this is an extreme example, but look at Sally Hawkins this year in Shape of Water. Yeah. That is a brilliant, brilliant performance, you know, and, and we only ever hear her sing in a fantasy sequence, you know. Mm-hmm. The rest of the time, she's having to convey the entire gamut of human emotions without a word.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and and I'm glad you brought that up because that is something that you do very, very well throughout your career. You're very reactive in the roles that you have, be it through nuanced facial expressiveness, be it through f- nuanced physicality, but you really are a very fine-tuned, reactive actor. Thank
5: you. Thank you very much. It's, it's one of the greatest compliments. It's, it's funny. I, 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 did, uh, I did a couple of uh, scenes in Che with Benicio Del Toro that mm-hmm. uh, Steven Soderbergh uh, directed, and after the first take... It's it's so it, it was so casual. He just kind of goes, "You listen very well." It was like, "Oh wow, excellent!" <laughs> you know, because that's that's. I mean, it's 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 about being present, mm-hmm. you know, and, and in something like Quest, you have no idea what the other actor is going to do because he's ten years old,
3: <laughs> you know, and yeah. and
5: and so you must be present. You must be paying attention, and and you must be you know giving and taking at the same time, and that's you know that's the basics of good acting, regardless. But when you put into that situation, uh, it's, it's incumbent upon you to, to actualize it, you know. And, and it's so funny when I watch, let's say, bad TV, uh, uh, no names mentioned, but, <laughs> you know, when, when actors act thinking or they act listening, you know, it's like I, I say to young acting students, would you act eating? No, you just eat, man. You take a bite of the burger, you know. Yeah. You don't act like you're eating the burger. You eat the burger. You know and 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 that's the thing is it is that you can you can do all the surface stuff, but you you've got to get back to to what's basic and what's innate, and it's like uh the old rule, you know, don't get caught acting,
0: mhm, well, we're almost out of time, but before I let you go, Lou, I've gotta ask you, as you look back on your career and the fact you keep going, what is the greatest gift that acting has given to you? You have given us such a great gift with all of your performances, but what is acting, what is the gift it has given you?
5: Wow. Um, a Constant education. You know, I've seen the world. I continue to see the world. Uh, I, one of the things that is never lost upon me is that I'm an actor who gets to represent different communities, mm-hmm. be it the Latino community, which is a huge umbrella. The, you know, uh, Mexicans, Mexican-Americans, you know, I mean, being, uh, you know, uh, uh, Colombian in, uh, I mean, not Colombian, but, uh, Chilean in, uh, um, the 33,
3: mm-hmm.
5: you know, uh, the, the numerous Native American, you know, nations that I've represented. Um, uh, you know, I, I really truly feel like not only a citizen, but an ambassador to the world. And, and it is that open mindedness, that clear sightedness that, that I'm grateful for because my job has forced me to, you know, care. It's forced me to care about, you know, uh, what's happening in our world today. What's happening to, you know, refugees around around the world. Uh, you know, uh, and, and and also, you know, it underlines it underlines my appreciation for being an American, and for what to me America is supposed to stand for. You know, uh, and and I'm representative of that, and and it's put me in a position to to get paid for doing what I love doing that I'd be doing for free. Uh, and, and to, you know, take care of my family and to have a nice life, but it also put me in a position to be a, a communicator and a storyteller and, uh, to, to continue to, I hope, you know, put a good message out there to people, you know, that, that, that we need compassion, we need compi- uh, kindness, we need to care about one another. And, and I think that's, uh, that's something I'm very grateful for.
0: Well, I think you're an incredible ambassador, Lou, um, on so many levels. And uh, here's to many, many, many more years of uh, seeing your work. And hopefully we won't go 35 years or whatever before getting to exactly. do an, an interview again. I I
5: can sit in the studio with you next time. Have oh, that ready. would be
0: fabulous. But right now, everybody who is up in Park City, they need to go to Slamdance tonight if there are still tickets left to see Quest or on the 24th. I know there's an encore exactly. performance. And exactly. this is a film that, It's heartbreaking, yet it is hopeful. And the very fact that Santiago Rizzo has made this film shows us that where there is hope, there is success.
4: That's exactly right. Thank you, Debbie.
0: Lou, thank you so much. And I'll talk to you again soon.
5: Sounds great. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Lou. Bye-bye. And, yes, that was Lou Diamond Phillips. And that is all the time we have. Again, um, so next week, by the way, folks, we're totally booked up with guests into March. Now I see Pam in there shaking her head, making faces like, oh, um, next week, we're going to have Lisa France, who is going to talk about her new film, Roll Them Out, which is an interest. It's it's a wonderful documentary. And Mario Van Peoples is going to be with us. Uh, talking about his TV series, Superstition, which has just completed its first run. It's going into reruns, and we're going to find out uh, what the network had to say on a pickup for Season 2. So, and it's streaming. So between now and next week, if you want to get a feel of what Mario and I are going to be talking about, check out Superstition. Uh, but in the meantime, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens.